Mark eight twenty two through nine one. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said. I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They took like they look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, Don't go back into the village on your way home. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter replied, You are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are saying things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? If anything worth more than your soul... If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. This is the word of the Lord. I hope this sermon finds you well. By the time that we are listening to this, we could be a week away from the stay-at-home orders changing here in both Missouri and Kansas. And well, I really don't know if that's a good thing or not. We've been asked by our superintendent not to meet through the month of May, so that is what we will continue to do here at Northtown. But I hope that you can remain safe and be smart about how you choose to exit that stay-at-home orders. I know that I, as an extrovert, am ready to see people, but at the same time, This isn't about me. It's about us as a city, as a country, and as the world. We find ourselves once again at a similar place to last week, where we have a healing that serves as an example for the remaining scriptural stories. Jesus finds himself healing a blind man as he arrives in Bethsaida. Once again, the people are bringing a man to Jesus, and Jesus attempts to heal the man. Jesus does his healing thing, that little razzle-dazzle where he spits into a person's eyes and rubs it in with his hands. And once again, in the time of COVID, I would not recommend doing this. Jesus is not showing a good example of what social, proper social distancing looks like. Jesus asks the man if he can see, and the man responds, that the healing really didn't work. People look like trees walking around. 
Jesus then puts his hands back onto the man's eyes. And once again, Jesus asks him if he can see. And the man can see clearly. Jesus then tells him to keep his healing a secret and not to tell anyone and not to go into the village. What this story does for me, beyond what we will discuss later in this sermon, is that, well, sometimes when we ask a healing from Jesus, it does not always look like the way we want. Sometimes healing means we go from worse to maybe just a little bit better. Healing does not always look the way we want it to look, but it does not negate the fact that a healing took place. Yes, for the blind man, the second healing happened right away. But once again, that does not always happen for us. Sometimes there are hours, days, weeks, months, or even years in between healings for us. It does not mean that God has forgotten us. But rather, what it does teach us is that we need to wait upon what the Lord is doing. The Lord has a much larger story happening around us. And sometimes we must wait upon to see what the Lord has planned for us. Yes, this is also kind of problematic for us because we do not like agency taken away from us. We like to think that we are in control of our own story. We like to think that God will do what we want God to do. But the reality of this example of healing is, well, sometimes Jesus takes a while and we're dependent upon him. Our agency is taken away and replaced with a dependency upon Christ. We do not get to know what the, what the larger story happening around us is. And we're dependent upon God to sustain us for the rest of our story and the rest of his story as well. Another lesson from this story of healing is that at first we don't see clearly, but once we look again, we see things in a different way. We see things more clearly. This next bit of scripture sets this up. Jesus asked the disciples, who the people say that he is. And the first, that first look, the people give answers to who Jesus may be. And all of their answers partially answer who Jesus is. There are aspects of the prophets that are found in who Jesus is. But none tell the whole story of who Jesus is. The people do not see him clearly. Then Jesus asks the disciples who they say he is. And Peter quickly answers that he is the Christ the Son of God, the Messiah. This declaration carries much weight, and it is the first time that the disciples have proclaimed to see Jesus clearly. They are able to recognize who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ here before them, Christ before them, Christ with them, and the Christ that will be going in front of them. The story of healing resonates with that line of questions that, uh, that happened before. Jesus asked people who he is, the first healing of the blind man, and the answer isn't clear. It's a partial answer to who Jesus really is. So we ask again the second healing, and this time the disciples are able to answer clearly, he is the Christ. But we are not done with the scriptures for today. And just as most of the time with the disciples in Mark, a kind of a key example of what happens with the disciples, a characteristic of the disciples in Mark, is they're always able to find a way to put their foot in their mouth. And of course, in this example, it's Peter. So we get to the part that we as modern day Christians kind of sound very familiar with us because we kind of know the whole story of Jesus. Jesus says what is going to happen to him. That he will be betrayed. He will be handed over to the authorities, 
and these authorities will kill him. And then he will rise from the dead on the third day. Jesus makes this statement pretty plainly in a better uh, in a better way to talk about it given today's sermon is that he says it to them clearly. This is the real truth. This is what is going to happen. Peter pulls Jesus to the side and says, this is not what's going to happen. This is not the story. This is not how this is supposed to go. Jesus, we told you that you are Christ. And in being the Christ, you're going to bring justice into this world. You're going to rule this world and we will follow you to that throne. You're going to accomplish many things and conquer many people, including our Roman oppressors and these Pharisees and Sadducees. And we are here to take part in that glory. We are here for it. And Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me with these temptations that you are speaking about. Get behind me because I have been tempted like this before in the desert. Get behind me because you are just like the Pharisees from before asking for a sign. Get behind me because you want the story to go a certain way, but you do not know the story of God. Get behind me because you have your thoughts on the things of this world, of your world, of your story, and not the story of what God is doing and what God wants to do. Then in order to fall in line with the story of healing that we first started in, Peter did not see clearly, even though just though a few minutes earlier he did. And Jesus goes on now to explain what seeing him clearly really looks like. Seeing clearly the kingdom of God means to deny oneself and take up their cross and follow after Christ. Seeing clearly the kingdom of God means in order to save one's life, they must lose it. Seeing clearly the kingdom of God means giving up this world so you do not become a part of it. What Jesus is advocating for falls into a similar twofold pattern of the unspoken reality of not seeing clearly and the spoken reality of seeing clearly. If you want to hold on to your ways or you want to have a story that you want to have, you're going to see this world partially. You're not going to see this world clearly. In order to see it clearly, you're going to have to give up on your desires to hold on to your ways and have control over your own story. If you want to hold on to the things of this world, you're only going to see the world partially. You're not going to see it clearly. In order to see it clearly, you're going to have to give up on your desire to hold on to the things of this world. If you want to hold on to the way that you're living your life, you're only going to live your life in this world partially. You're not going to live it clearly. In order to live it clearly, you're going to have to give up on your desires of how you want to live your life, your own way. And this is the crux of the gospel spoken clearly and plainly to these disciples. This is not a parable, but rather Jesus speaking clearly. And this is what I consider one of the crescendos of the gospel of Mark. Once the disciples are truly able to recognize Jesus as the Christ, Jesus wastes no time in trying to reclaim their understanding of what it means to follow the Christ. What it really means to follow God is that you will have to give up control and understanding that the gospel means that we do what God has called us to do, and not just what we want to do. What it means to follow God is that our life is not our own, but rather we dedicate our lives to following after what God would want from us, we dedicate our lives to attempting to see clearly 
and not just be satisfied with seeing things partially. When it means the story is no longer about us alone. This is one of the hardest lessons for us as humans to learn, that our story is no longer about us alone. What Jesus is combating against is Peter's desire for the story to be, in a roundabout way, about him and his desires to control God. This is why Jesus says that Peter's thoughts on things of man's and of this world, because, Pe because well, Peter's thoughts are about what Jesus can do for him and how Jesus can help him. Jesus reminds him that this is not about you. And in fact, if you are wanting to be a part of what is really happening here, if you want to see clearly, you're going to have to let go of what you want and be ready for what is best for all of us, what is best for the kingdom of God, to open your eyes and see the world as I see the world, to see the world as God sees the world. If you have been around me long enough, I have often answered the question to what your favorite movie is with the answer of Fight Club. When I was a young adolescent, Chuck Palahniuk's nihilistic words resonated with me, partially because in them, I heard the words of Christ. Now, for those of you who do not know the movie or the book, I will throw out the disclaimer that the movie and the book are a very hard R rating. It is not a movie or book to see uh, that I would advertise that everyone needs to see. But I, do, but I did pull this week's sermon title from a scene in that movie or a quote from that book. What is happening in the narrative is the narrator is watching the leader of Fight Club, the protagonist, talk about how angry and disenfranchised the people gathered are and starts to rant about how we have all been sold a narrative that the things of this world will make us happy. If we consume the things of this world, we take those things on as our identity. They will satisfy us. And the, per the narrator or the protagonist is saying that we have all found out that, that it is not true and that, made us that is making us restless, lonely, and angry. He goes on to say that we cannot use the things of this world to define us, to define ourselves, because they have no real meaning. And that is why we'll never find meaning in them. If we really truly want to find meaning, we must give up on our pursuit of these things and find the meaning in ourselves. Doesn't this sound familiar? Outside of finding meaning in ourselves, which I do not believe is true, I do believe what Chuck Palahniuk is writing about it is the same feeling of emptiness when we feel that we, when we pursue the things of this world, and that is what Christ is talking about as well. I believe what Chuck is tapping into is something that existed before him, a primal need that Christ addressed some 2,000 years ago, a realization that we will never be fully fulfilled if we pursue the things of this world. But rather, if we really want to be filled, we must give up our pursuit and our desire to hold on to these things, and instead see the larger story of what God is doing, and trust in that. Or another quote from Fight Club, after the protagonist blows up the narrator's apartment, he says, only after you lose everything are you free to do anything. This quote sums up the clarity that Jesus is giving to the disciples. The way we hold on to the things of this world, the way we hold on to certain visions of what our life may be, the way that we hold on to what we desire and what we want. That is only seeing the world partially. Jesus says, in order to see clarity, you need to lose that. You need to put that on a cross. 
and you to die to those things, and then, then you will find freedom. You can find freedom. I want to end here with a point from Wesley. As Wesleyans, we believe in something called prevenient grace, a grace that goes before us so that we can even perceive God. Our fallenness would limit our ability to understand God. But there is a grace given to us, a grace that goes before us, a grace that is there at the very beginning so that we can know and perceive God. It allows us to perceive, maybe partially, who God is. It is our first healing given to us by Christ from the beginning. And now we have a second grace that we talk about as Wesleyans, a salvific grace, a grace that goes uh, that we decide to, a grace that happens when we decide to follow Christ, where we are then able to perceive the fullness of God, that second healing, that healing that allows us to see clearly. I believe the things of this world are marred in, a, in that first grace. They are preveniently covered with grace. The good things of this world, our desires and our dreams, they're all graces of this world, but it's not the full story. The full story comes when we accept God into our lives and we submit to his story, when we submit to the grace of God and his will for our lives, understanding that we want Christ, what we want Christ to do in our lives is not Christ's story, but rather we must submit to God's story and how we will play a part in it. We must submit to what God, we must submit to God, but this is not in some totalitarian, authoritarian way, but rather an openness to the story of God and what God is already doing around us. The salvific grace is a grace that we open our eyes to and we can see what God is doing around us and we have the ability to join in and be a part of it. That is the beauty of this story, is that we get to be a part of the great story of God and how his grace is not only spreading in our lives, but also in the lives of those around us. Please, also, remember to wash your hands. Amen.